The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting out to over 60 countries again this week from Lubu, which is a fantastic restaurant in District 2 in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. So, and it's one o'clock in the morning. So, good morning, Vietnam. And if you're heading this way, if you're heading to Ho Chi Minh City, then look it up. It's got great reviews on TripAdvisor. And I want to thank Lubu for making us so welcome here. And uh, also, you know, as you probably know, I'm originally Australian. I've been in America for, I've lived in California for 30 years, but originally Australian. And I had the Australian Consul General and um, her husband come to see me tonight and we had a big dinner. So I just want to thank everybody for making us feel so welcome up here. I also want to thank you for making us the number one business radio show in the world for entrepreneurs, and I really appreciate it. So I hope you all enjoyed the 4th of July celebrations yesterday. It's one of the best days of the year to party. We went to a great 4th party here in Ho Chi Minh City yesterday um, with about 500 expat Americans who really know how to celebrate in style. And it's so stinking hot and humid here that they all know how to drink in style as well. So I hope you also spend a very productive day at work and don't have too much of a... 4th of July hangover today. I really love entrepreneurs. As you know, this show is all about entrepreneurs. Now, here's a story that surfaced this week that really got me. A 19-year-old in London created a free robot lawyer that has beaten 160,000 parking tickets. Don't you love it? A 19-year-old beats 160,000 parking tickets. It's the very first robot lawyer that was designed to challenge parking tickets, and it's been hugely successfully. Joshua Browder, just 19, launched the beta version of the bot in London last September. In the first month alone, 3,000 People used the service to appeal their parking tickets, 95% success rate. And by February, which is only, what, four or five months, he had already beaten three million pounds worth of parking tickets. I need this guy. In April, Brad launched the bot in New York as well. And to date, the bot has successfully appealed 160,000 
of 250,000 parking tickets in both London and New York, giving it a 64% success rate. And uh, this artificial intelligence robot lawyer shows how bots can seriously help just in settling just about everything instead of just being used for things like ordering food. Here's how it works. You get a ticket. So you visit do not pay and set up an account. From there, the chatbot asks you questions about your parking violation, like whether there were signs, whether you could see the signs, whether there are any trees. And if you answer a question that shows you could have a case, the bot will help generate an appeal. I fucking love it. <laughs> there should be more guys like this guy. Now, many companies are investing in bots, mostly notable, notably Facebook. The tech giant launched a series of messenger bots probably about three or four months ago, I guess, to do tasks like order flowers or provide the weather forecast. But um, most of them have been pretty ho-hum. Now, Browden, he's the young kid who invented this um, beat-the-ticket bot, said he'd tried almost all of the bots and has been unhappy. It's quicker to type in a simple red form, web form to offer to order flowers, but he believes there's a lot more opportunity for these bots to help people. So he's rolling out the robot lawyer in Seattle this fall and then across America immediately after. He's also working on bots that can assist people in other ways. He's currently working on a bot that can help Syrian refugees get asylum. He's working with IBM's Watson platform so that the bot can understand Arabic and write the documents in English. And he's working on a bot that can help HIV-positive people understand their legal rights when disclosing their medical status. I like this guy. Another reason we like entrepreneurs. Now, you've probably seen this. This really pisses me off. San Francisco's tech tax. It's a proposal, and it sort of reflects the deep divide we're having across the country, in fact, across the world, about the rich getting richer, the poor getting poorer, the poor getting disenfranchised. Well, it's, it's stupid. Supervisor Eric Ma, a prominent San Francisco lawmaker, has proposed a new tax that would be levied only on tech companies in the city. So only on tech companies. He said, it's time for San Francisco to require the big technology companies that are successful in making money to pay more. Now, how often have we heard this? When it comes to the big multinationals, you know, they avoid tax, and I'm totally against that. They fiddle money around the world and shuffle it, and they don't pay any tax, and they should be jumped on for that, and that practice should be eradicated. But what they're doing in San Francisco is blaming tech companies for contributing to the city's affordability problem. They announced that the 1.5% payroll tax would raise an estimated $120 million, which would be dedicated to fighting homelessness and funding affordable housing, as well as lowering costs for small businesses. Now, this ballot initiative is bloody ridiculous. It's job-killing. And it's emblematic of the economic inequality that is sweeping the US and the world. 
what needs to be realised is that San Francisco's unemployment rate is sitting at a little over 2%. 2%, down from 9% just five years ago. And it's driven by the phenomenal success of the tech companies. So this, tech, this tax is penalising an industry that has led to the lowest unemployment rate in the country. So on one hand, we've got the government bleating about how we must lower unemployment, how we must drive higher wages, and then when an industry comes in and does just that, the same government wants to tax them more for being successful. How bloody stupid is that? What sort of logic is that? Now, I understand the, lo- the, the locals who are possibly legacy industry workers and have been left out of the technology boom and they're angry about the rising cost of living and they focus their ire on an industry with very visible affluent players. I understand that, you know, but just because middle and lower class workers have been priced out, tech workers who are able to pay the $3,500 for one bedroom apartment have flowed in. So governments should be applauding young companies that have brought thousands of jobs and millions of dollars in revenue to San Francisco. All these employees are out there spending money all day, every day, creating jobs for all these wits who have been found out of work. So where are the accolades for the like of Zuckerberg, who's donated billions of dollars of his money into education and other worthy causes such as childhood diseases and poverty across the world. Gates is another great one, spent billions of his dollars. Where are the accolades for them? No, what they want to do, they're successful. Let's tax them more. So government should be trying to pull the successful, should not be trying to pull the successful down. They should be trying to raise everyone else up, surely. You know, we can all agree there's a growing problem that requires creative solutions that we can all support. You know, one of the major elements of this effort has to be re-educating and training those workers who have been left out of the financial growth in the United States. You know, and people who work for legacy industries and have been laid off, sure, we've got to retrain them. But taxing companies that are bringing jobs and bringing well-paid jobs and driving the success of the country is just stupid. So the anger at tech firms and their growing army of well-compensated employees, it's misplaced and it's misguided. The crisis will not be solved by chasing good-paying, good-benefit jobs in one targeted industry out of town. Now, this area, which is Market Street, if you remember it or know it, that's now populated with all these high-tech companies, it was just a string of empty, dilapidated shop fronts and heaps of homeless. But as the new technology businesses opened, non-profits and poorer residents, sure, they were pushed out. You know, the tech industry's got a lot to answer for, but creating millions of high-paying jobs is not one of them. They should not be the scapegoat but they should be a beacon of what can be achieved in the greatest economic power the world's ever known, the US economy. We should be working together to find solutions to housing and homelessness. And when you look at what economists say, they say, 
The reasons for San Francisco's housing problems are complex. It's not just about a bunch of tech companies coming in and making high-paying jobs. It's linked to factors like the influx of wealth, limited space on the peninsula, as well as local politics that have resisted building new housing in order to preserve the character of the city. It's certainly not a technology-driven housing crisis. In my view, this is just another example of politicians using fear, envy, and distorted logic to divide two constituencies and get re-elected. In my view, these morons on the San Francisco Council are the first people that should be unemployed. It is ridiculous. So I've got some very interesting news and exciting news, I reckon, for my radio listeners as well as those who purchase my books and attend my speeches. Um, and we're going to announce this in the next couple of weeks. The aim is to develop a like-minded community of people who are entrepreneurs and we want you to be able to take advantage of every opportunity there is to become successful. So we're launching the Bob Pritchard Premium Club. I know it sounds pretty wanky, but it's the Bob Pritchard Premium Club. And we offer our listeners a fantastic range of benefits. We've been working on this for quite a while. It's a great range of benefits, business advice, giveaways, a host of really good stuff, live appearances, heaps. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be telling you all about all of these advantages. Now, to try and cover the administration costs, which are pretty high, we're going to charge a nominal fee of just 10 bucks a week, which when you look at the benefit package we're going to put out to you, I'm confident that you'll agree this is it's an unbelievable deal. And we may not cover our costs with 10 bucks a week. Anyway, I'm going to be announcing a lot more details about the Bob Pritchard Premium Club over the next couple of weeks, so watch out for it. Today's guest really interesting guy. His name's Shane Barbanel, and he's the founder and CEO of the CoLab factory in New York City. Now, Shane was um, a very experienced real estate guy, but he wanted to assist startups by establishing a space of 24 offices, common areas, restaurant, lecture and boardrooms, where startups could move in for a minimum of one month of rent and at the most attractive cost possible and have all facilities supplied. It was a struggle to get the right real estate deal. He spent a lot of time trying to get a deal that worked. But now the CoLab factory is booming and Shane's looking to expand in New York, another three or four centres and across the country. What I like about it is that he also provides the crucial legal and accounting advice that startups need in the form of regular workshops and lectures. It's a very interesting proposition and uh, I, for one, will be supporting him to develop across the country. And I'll be back with Shane immediately after this break on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? 
Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Radio Show. Now, this is the segment where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people. We talk about the services they provide, and we try to find out what makes them tick, what challenges that they've faced in getting to where they are, because it's it's really difficult to be successful. And as we know, and we talk about on this show a lot, um, somewhere between 95 and 99% of all new businesses fail. So we need to listen to um, interviews like this and take on board the advice that people give us. We also need to have mentors. I can't stress enough how important it is for everybody in business to have mentors that are not yes men, not people who say Johnny, that's wonderful. But people who will say, you know, if the idea is crap, that's a crap idea and this is why and I'll give you a better one. So you, it's very important that we have um, mentors. You increase your chances of being successful amazingly. Now, today's guest has got an excellent track record in real estate and he's got a real handle on the one element of business that tends to be foreign to most entrepreneurs, money. Most entrepreneurs are very good at um, uh, coming up with the idea and pretty lousy usually at um, running a business, but they're usually very dreadful at at money. Most businesses fail simply because they can't raise money. So my guest today is Shane Barbanel, and Shane is the founder and CEO of the CoLab Factory. So I'll just give you a bit of background on on Shane. Before founding CoLab Factory, Shane had a successful career in commercial real estate for quite a long while, working exclusively in the New York City market. He was president of the New York City City Brokerage before joining Caldwell Banker Commercial. He also worked as a property analyst for BRM Fund, was president of Dean Contracting and VP of Barbary Rose Management. So with all that experience, um, Shane decided to launch CoLab Factory, which is a bloody great idea. When, when we go into what it is, it is a terrific idea, and it's one that's it's just sort of following on from what's happening with um, with a lot of startups. 
and uh, I think it's a an idea whose time it has come and I think it would be very beneficial to everyone who participates. Hi Shane, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Hey Bob, thanks for having me on. <laughs> Tell me, what is the Colab Factory? Give our listeners just a snapshot of what it is. Sure, the Colab Factory is uh, working in collaboration in downtown Brooklyn. It's uh, 7,000 square feet of space containing 21 offices, three conference rooms, a cafe, a classroom, um, an event space. And uh, we provide the space for early stage startups businesses to, uh, to get going. Right. So it's kind of it's kind of like a, a an incubator or um, what we what we would call we we have a, a number of um, of startups all sharing the space and um, sharing ideas and and um, learning along the way. Yeah, there's there's an incubate there's an incubate incubation aspect to what we do, but the the co-working aspect is. Um, where you have the 21 offices and the co-working space, you could have a novelist, a screenwriter, next to someone in production, uh, two tables down from two guys coding on the next application or um, startup idea. Right. So, and they could be right next to uh, two guys who are building out a delivery service. Uh, so that's, that's where it gets really interesting is the potpourri of people we have in here. Yeah, that's very cool. So why did you start it? It's... Pretty big jump from um, being in in real estate and and property planning to um, to running a the um, cooperative um, um, entrepreneur space, isn't it? Yeah, you know, uh, I'll say this: that, that uh, I was doing the real estate business, and uh, I was I was doing okay. Uh, I, was, I was making deals, and this felt like I was doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And when you do brokerage, you can, as we used to say, bang bones. And so you're, you're always going to get the next uh, prospect in your pipeline. And, um, and I'm good at that. Yeah. Uh, however, there's no creation and there's no, there's no uh, innovation in that. I bumped into a guy who was going to do an incubator. Uh, and I said to him, you're, doing a, you're building a place for premature babies. Uh, because you got to remember, <laughs> in 2012, the word incubator only had a medical... Yeah, sound to it. It didn't have a business sound. And uh, when I started looking it up and studying the idea in 2011, 2012, I was very excited. My lights turned on. Uh, the idea of being around innovative, creative, forward-thinking uh, generators was uh, was uh, really exciting. And so that started my journey in <laughs> 2012 of, of creating the Colab Factory. And the reason it took four years, the first obstacle that I ran into even though I was in the real estate business and grew up in it, nobody, when I say I'm going to open a co-working space, landlords did not want to do business with me because they did not know what it was. Yeah. So how did you attract your first bunch of, of startups or entrepreneurs? So um, first, uh, first, our first member uh, is uh, New York Natives, and New York Natives is a media company. Right. And uh, I know Camilla, Camilla Webster, and, uh, and Camilla and I, you know, she knew I was doing the Colab Factory, and when she knew what I was doing it at the time, New York Natives was in a, an actual um, conventional office space where yeah. she had a conventional office lease. And um, 
to, to not discuss the details she had to get out at least. Sure. And one of the big positives for us, whether you're a big business or a small business, is that we're 30 days notice. So okay. you're a member. It's not a real estate. It's not a real estate play. It's a membership play, more like a gym than it is like real estate. And what I mean by that is, you come in, you're a startup, uh, and you have you know your capital, your burn rate these days. These a lot of people don't really think about the burn rate. So I think about it for you, and I provide the furniture, I provide the space, I provide the uh, the electric and the gas. I provide all of these things: the, the, the space, the security. You just come, you plug and play, you do your business. And if you're going to move to Hong Kong or you're going to move up into a bigger space, give us three days notice, and that's how it works. What happens at a two, three, five-year lease? You don't have to do that. So I free you up. I free you up to really focus on your business, your goals and objectives. So what um, what management expertise do you guys provide? Because, you know, one of the big problems with startups, and we, we deal with a hell of a lot of startups, is that most of them don't have the business skills that are required to be able to run a business. They've got a great idea. They usually don't have any money, but they don't have the, you know, the business skills because a, a business owner's a business entrepreneur has got to wear so many hats he's got to be an entrepreneur he's got to be the developer he's got to be the staff hire he's got to be the accountant he's got to be the lawyer he's got to be all of those hats so what do you provide to your members so the most important thing that we provide here is that we have a classroom and uh and it's one of the pillars that the collab factory stands on actually um because i'm a big believer that Startups, freelancers, entrepreneurs, uh, uh, small businesses, uh, sometimes, as you just do very well stated, um, have difficulty in one area. It could be brilliant in another. Yeah. Uh, and your business can fail because of your short-sightedness or you even know you're, you're not uh, um, well-versed in one area. So the classroom's whole reason to live is to provide um, those uh, educational offerings that are pointed directly at the entrepreneur, uh, whether it's building a marketing deck, uh, business plans, uh, learning how to write a story, because sometimes if you're a good storyteller, you can actually then pitch very well, uh, also classes on pitching. So that classroom uh, is there to provide uh, um, shoring up of the areas where entrepreneurs may be lacking. So do you um, do you engage these specialists to come in and, and talk to the people on a regular basis or are they people from inside, members from inside the um, um, CoLab factory or, or are they outside? Yes, so the, <laughs> yes it is. So yeah, the answer is yes. We have uh, people from inside the CoLab factory who have a knowledge base and experience in an area uh, and I have a director who I just recently hired out of the education initiative at the Colette Factory, and her job is to uh, secure the experience, but also vet um, those people uh, giving a class. So if it's a member, she'll sit down with them and, and figure out a course curriculum so that they can better serve uh, the membership. Okay. Um, so how much, what do they got to commit to first? Do they have to commit to a period of time first or is it just as long as you give three days notice? Well, so yes, yeah, 30 days, 30 days, 30 notice, days one notice. month, right. So, okay, so yeah, 30 days yeah. Notice. So, right. so, yeah, so the first thing is, you know, you come and there's different levels. You can have uh, the co-working membership, which is you work from anywhere in the space except for the offices. Right. Uh, and, um, and we have lockers here and obviously conference rooms and British Gator copters. We have, uh, events and classes, as I mentioned, 
And that's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the way to get in and out of the building and the floor is your phone. So we've got an app that we use that goes through the backend management software. And that's how you get in and you can come to work. Because I'm a big believer, we don't all work the same way. We're not all sure. inspired at the same time. So there are people who want to work at midnight and get inspired to work from midnight to four in the morning. We're here for them. Yeah. Uh, and there are people who work early in the morning like myself and get in at 7.30 a.m. So we're here for them as well. And we have different levels in the space. We have work bars, so people who work standing up, lounges, you can work laying down. And of course, in the collab, which is our co-working area, you can work in there. So we have, we have any number of physical space for different work personalities. So you encourage um, various companies to work together to solve issues that they might have or to collaborate on things. Yeah, I mean, one of the best ways we've found to do that is actually uh, is it what I call the back door. So, you know, in sales, you learn the front door, nobody's going to answer the doorbell, but you always find a way to be their friend. So we do a game night, startup game night, and uh, where we split people into teams, not just from our space, but from outside the space. So you're mixing people, and you have a little beer, maybe a little wine, and, uh, and um, we play a game where you have to come up with a startup. Uh, you know, in a certain amount of time with a certain amount of circumstances and people are coming together, having a great time, making up some great games. And all of a sudden, people know each other, they meet each other, they're working together and, you know, you know, two people who didn't know each other earlier in the space now know each other and collaborate uh, on, on business uh, ideas. Yeah. Yeah, last week I was talking about the new Google space in London where they um, um, have all these collaboration spaces where they encourage people inside the organization who are working on totally different you know google's involved in all sorts of things and people that are involved yeah. in totally different um, um, areas of the business and totally you know somebody might be working on medical and somebody else is working on um, apps or whatever and encouraging them to get together and to pick each other's brains and to work off each other and that that's a great business stimulus yeah yeah it is it's uh, it's amazing what happens we also found that uh you know that now with the, with just an old business model the outplacement where people are downsized uh and basically a nice way of, of kissing people goodbye uh, in a large organization yeah. uh yeah, we're the best. We're the best land for those people because all of a sudden you're 25, 30, 40 years old, and you're going to pivot. Yep. And you sit, you're sitting in a place where other people are doing various businesses, and all of a sudden you go from being a corporate guy to corporate structure, and now you become an innovator and, a, and an entrepreneur that you didn't know you were going to be, and a negative now turns into positive. So positive. Yep. Somebody pushed up something. You end up coming to a place where you can actually climb somewhere for yourself. That's very exciting. We're all about, you know, transformation and turnarounds here. We love it. One of the things I mentioned before is that most entrepreneurs, I think I, I read a, an article, I think it was from Harvard, where um, something like 80 plus percent of entrepreneurs fail because their inability to raise any money. Um, with, with your background, do you, um, do you assist them to pursue funding? I do. So, uh, so the big connector in the space, you have a lot of uh, co-working spaces uh, that are almost like McDonald's these days. And the one thing about the Collab Factory is you have me. And uh, and I mean by that is I love I love I really do 
uh, get a kick out of bringing people together. So, uh, for example, we have a group in here called Rescuing Leftover Cuisine. And these people, these young people, uh, made a business out of exactly, it sounds like what you're to love them. It's, it's exactly what their business model, exactly what it sounds like. And uh, years ago, when I was in the restaurant business as a bartender, you'd have an unbelievable amount of leftover food. It would just be thrown sure, away. Sure. They come, they're also working with city and state agencies, obviously. They're not doing anything uh, below board. It's all above board. Yeah. And, uh, and they've exploded since they were in our state. They started out with three people. Now they have about 15 people uh, working out of their area. They've grown to one office to three offices. Anyway, uh, I have a gentleman in the space uh, here, and his whole reason to be here is he can connect them to money. And right now they're in a very serious conversation about um, about finding more money, and they've, they've gone from local to nationwide, uh, which is very exciting. We're very happy for them. And there's also a gentleman in the space uh, who is um, he's found a way to secure email. Now he says so. I believe him, but uh, you know the proof is in the pudding because if you can actually secure your email and get like Fort Knox, he's yeah. got a very serious business plan. I've also connected in with some people. Uh, for funding, we'll see how that goes. So, you know, when when I can, I really get a kick out of putting, you know, making uh, making marriages. Yeah. Yeah. The other the other important area, I guess, is um, connecting um, entrepreneurs with the bigger companies that can work with them or take them over or buy them out to um, <laughs> to, to help them grow. Um, you know, the uh, contacts. In Silicon Valley and elsewhere, are very important these days. So, how, how did, do you have um, facilities in that area or contacts? In um, no, we we do, but we've also found before we even reach out that uh, what occurs is these people find out about uh, our smaller companies here because it's such a you know the, the speed of yesterday now, right? You're online, yeah. uh, you see an item and it comes across your feed because it's in your wheelhouse. Sure. Uh, and all of a sudden, they're reaching out to you before uh, before you need even uh, a middleman. So we found that things happen at the speed of, uh, of the internet today, we, where people find them and start having conversations before before they reach out themselves. So what's your what's your um, business model? Do you <clears throat> you simply are you making money out of um, you've got to be making money. So you're making money out of le- leasing space and picking up a little bit there, or do you get involved in the companies and take a small portion of equity or how, how does that work? So, yes, is the answer. Um, so we, so when, if I make a deal, if I somehow can connect uh, some money to a startup, you know, I will take a very small, I mean, I don't even call it a nickel because I don't want to be onerous. You don't want to be the guy who everyone's looking at what is he doing with his handout. So, you yeah. know, I call it a small, very small piece. But then the uh, the area we really uh, occupy, if you want to call it the service industry, is through membership fees and a la carte uh, charges for conference rooms and classrooms and event space. We also, uh, you know, uh, collect money there as well. So we do we do pretty well in that area. So when you come in and and acquire a space, you become a member, and for that you yes. pay a membership fee. What 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 sort of membership fee is it? Is it- so we have so the co-working membership fee, uh, which is work from anywhere, and uh, it's four hundred dollars a month. Oh, seven days, you know, twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week. That's very reasonable. Very reasonable. Yeah. So we we've really found a way to, to, to you know make it so that it shouldn't be uh, it shouldn't be a sticking tie. 
and then an office uh, for two is starts at a thousand, an office for three starts at fifteen hundred, an office for four starts at two thousand, and so on. We have, uh, you know, I think there's earlier twenty one offices of different shapes and sizes, and uh, you know we found that we also get some remote teams operating from larger organizations, uh, you know, coming in also with wires coming from Hong Kong. Uh, because uh, they want their teams in, in New York and they want them operating in a, uh, in a lean fashion. We provide yeah. that for them. Yeah, that, that, that's very reasonable. I know some of the fees being charged in Los Angeles by um, similar sort of spaces and they're quite a bit more than that. Um, so most of the companies that are coming in there or businesses that are, or entrepreneurs that are coming in, at what stage are they? Are they are they really early stage or are they right across the board or are they... It's been uh, my experience of the, uh, the companies coming in here today are across the board. We have uh, we have uh, two that are well established and then quite a few that are early stage and uh, and one or two that are just startups when I team are just startups. I don't mean to belittle them, but in other words, they're not just starting out early stage. They, uh, they're in the beginning, you know, the first quarter of the race, so to speak. Right. So if, if they um, um, come to you and say, look, we've just setting up this business and this is what we're doing and we need some advice on, um, you know, one of, the, one of the shortfalls with most entrepreneurs is they don't get good enough legal advice when they when they begin um so do you help them um acquire that legal advice and you know ip protection and all that sort of stuff is that sort of part of what you do absolutely we uh, actually have relationships with lawyers who uh who right now have one um uh one independent who wants to come in and give uh, a series on that very um on that very subject uh, in the classroom, and uh, we're we're now in talks with her and her firm coming in and having a space here uh, to provide cut rate law advice uh, to the startups. And I and I mean cut rate because just like my fees being four hundred, I think that when you're starting out, it's you know money is a problem, yeah, and I think sure. uh, it, it's just like a math problem. It's like a language. If you speak money, you can you can make money, but you have to learn the language. And um, we want our people here, when they're members here, to succeed. We just don't want to leave them in the room to do their work. You know, if they come to me, we, we try to make relationships, or if they need uh, help with law, you know, a law issue, I will try to bring, uh, I will actually bring uh, professionals in to, to guide them if they want it. Yeah, there's a number of uh, law firms um, in, in LA that will actually um, do pro bono work for um, uh, entrepreneurs on the basis that you know, they get rewarded somewhere down the line, which is a huge help to, to small business because legal fees can eat up your money very quickly. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we've, we've, we've had that conversation, like I said, with a couple of lawyers, and I make it clear to them that they can't charge what they think they can charge because yeah. it's early stage. Particularly so in New York City, they the can game. charge. <laughs> yeah, they can. So... Just out of interest, what percentage of your entrepreneurs are male and what percentage of your entrepreneurs are female? Um, you know, right now, it's 50-50. Oh, great. To do, you know, remember, I mean, I think, I mean, that's right now, you know, it could change. I mean, in the beginning, it was, you know, 80-20 skewed towards men. Yeah. And, uh, and then we had an influx of, of young women come in here, which is very exciting. 
I, I love having uh, uh, the women entrepreneurs and the, and the women startups because they, they bring a whole different uh, whole different um, uh, atmosphere uh, and and it's, it's really appreciated. You know, look the, the co-working space. We've made some very specific choices. But I mean, some people on my team thought was well, crazy. I I don't have a beer on tap here. We don't we don't have DJs running music twenty four seven. We don't do that. Uh, yeah. Collab factory and we're here where you know we, we are here to you know you want to build your dream and sometimes when you're, you're finished with the party you want to start you will get to Being work serious yeah so our atmosphere yeah our, our atmosphere is about you know you know building your dream not not uh not building a party so we 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 made it's a very in, in co-working space it's a bold choice not to have beer on tap um but uh i feel that uh you know, I think that's one of the reasons the women have been coming to our space because it's not that kind of atmosphere um, yeah. where people get a little loose. Yeah, I'd agree with you. The um, but the number of uh, female entrepreneurs is is just burgeoning. I mean, it's it's incredible how many female entrepreneurs there are out there and that are getting um, um, inspired by the success of women entrepreneurs around them. I mean, it's, it's quite amazing what they're achieving. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, are more and more entrepreneurs choosing to operate their business at co-working spaces, or is there just a certain percentage that fit that, or do you think it's a it's a industry-wide, entrepreneur-wide trend? I, I believe that uh, the co-working spaces fill a void. Um, you know, it's, I mean, it is disruption, right? Because the yep. the old guard would have a co- you would have an office lease, uh, and there's no way to get an office lease. That's why Steve Jobs and Wozniak created Apple in a, in a garage, and that's why sure. you know uh, Facebook started in a dorm dorm room. So uh, these guys wouldn't be able to afford half the co-working spaces that are coming out down the pipeline these days. So I yep. think when you find the right co-working space uh, that has the right price point, it frees you up to create your business. And um, and I think that that it's it's a it's a hand in hand again to use the word marriage. You have people looking to create their own business, and you have providers like ourselves here at the Collab Factor providing space at a reasonable uh, price point so that they can get their business done. Because one of the big problems that I see that you're going to have is you're going to run out of space very quickly. Well, I mean, you mean a co-working uh, business or for for my business? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're going to um, you're. 20-odd offices are going to be gone very fast, and uh, you're going to have entrepreneurs walking the door looking for space, and uh, your business is going to grow. That is that is the goal. That is the goal and objective, and also that we keep uh, we keep within the collab factory family. That we open more collab factories, and we can provide uh, space space for uh, for as we grow together. So, what what future plans do you have? Are you going to stay in the New York area? Are you going to expand nationally, or have you got um, areas pinpointed to uh, to grow? Yes, we have uh, we have geographic areas inside of uh, inside New York, and then that's inside of a three year plan, and the five year plan is nationwide, and uh, and we'll see after five years if uh, you know if we go past that. Yeah, I. I as I said when I introduced it, I think it is a fantastic idea. Um, so, like all startup businesses, you would have had 
teething problems. So what, what were the biggest challenges that you faced when you um, came up with the idea and you thought, okay, I'm going to do this? What were the biggest challenges that faced you? Well, I, you know, as I said earlier, the, real, the biggest problem I ran into were landlords, some of whom I already knew, not jumping on. See, it's, it's hilarious because today everybody, you know, co-working is a hot topic. But um, in 2012, 2013, uh, I couldn't get arrested. And, you know, I would make deals and a handshake deal. I'd get an uh, engineer, an architect, and... Uh, I had one one owner, one landlord said came up and said, "Listen, uh, Shane, we're really, it was hat in his hand, literally. We're really sorry, but we somebody bought our building, and they they didn't they didn't sign the lease. They didn't sign the lease. We already we already spent we already spent a great deal of money, and uh, and I went to another location uh, in York, uh, which is not where I want to be because I'm in downtown Brooklyn. I'm in the uh, sure. Brooklyn Tech Triangle, uh, yep. where we are. It's fantastic. Just so happy to be here. This is where I wanted to be originally." Anyway, I went to another place and they wanted uh, a ridiculous amount of security. Uh, and look, it makes sense because we're, we are a startup, but they, they so thoroughly had not heard of co-working. It wasn't even a word on their lips that they, the, the security they were asking for is more money than we had slated for the business to start, Sure, which is a lot. Um, so the so first hurdle really was finding a place that I could sit down and make a deal with the owners and find a way uh, to, to partner up, so to speak, and, and, and get this thing off and running. And then uh, the, second, the second one, obviously, was design, taking your vision, taking my vision, and applying it to reality, right? Sure. And that, that posed a, a set of hurdles that were, but you know, a lot of these problems were, you know, just the whole fun of it is finding a solution. I'd much rather you know, be, uh, you know, with a sword and a shield with a lion in arena of my choosing than work for somebody else and, uh, and, you know, work for somebody else and be unhappy making money. So, so I am the guy that is my customer, right? Yeah. Because a set of uh, a whole series of people are turning their lives around and that's very hard to do that, that, that customer, you know, you got to give a great deal of respect to somebody in the forties, fifties and sixties changing their life and starting over. I, I, you know, my hat's off to them. Yep. And uh, you want to provide the environment for them to succeed. Yeah, I think, um, I think where you've hit the nail on the head is providing um, education in how to run a business, how to do your accounting, how to protect your IP, how to get the right um, legal advice. I think all of those things are absolutely critical. And um, they're going to dictate your success. If you get those those pieces in place then there's nothing going to stop you thank you thanks bob i appreciate that so how many how many staff do you have is it um pretty lean and mean or right now we're still lean uh it's two and a half of us we have uh part-time and it's me and my my community manager right so how do you and uh how do you get the feelers out you do you get a lot of publicity or do you use publicity or do you just use digital media or? So we have, uh, we have social media. Uh, we have, uh, you know, actually <laughs> I'm laughing at myself because I'm, I'm a real, I'm a real basic guy. Right. I'm old fashioned. Even I'm not, I'm not that old. And, uh, so we do postcards, we do flyers. Uh, I actually, uh, had a couple of guys take some posters and poster up, uh, street poles in Brooklyn. Um, and 
we uh, get a uh, whole smatter of people from all these different choices. We get people coming from the postcards. We have we have uh, startups walking in from from the street pole. Uh, what I call lo-fi, lo-fi yeah. advertising. With you know, you remember when you go to a a laundromat and you see the tear outs of yep. those uh, people would put up on the bulletin board. They so we did that in a site. Yeah, they did. Yeah. I, I had to tell you something. And the advantage that, you know, I said, you know what? The advantage you've got is all of the people are probably local, so you know yes. you, don't, you don't need to have a big splurge on Facebook that so people in Nairobi know about. You just need people in Brooklyn to know about you. There's a hell of a lot of people there that are entrepreneurs. Yeah, no, absolutely. Brooklyn's important, but then we do do the Facebook uh, buys and we do the Twitter purchases and Instagram because we do have the outsourcing and the you know the remote teams coming. You know, we have a couple of remote teams from Hong Kong, uh, one remote team from the Midwest, very large organizations, and a team of four over here. Because and that's that's an interesting business model that we weren't expecting. Uh, large organizations that are testing the New York and Brooklyn market right. and don't want to entrench themselves in a long-term lease. Well, they get involved with some landlord who feels like they're taking advantage of them. They come in here, it's a shame we're going to do a year, six months. Uh, we may go from two to eight people. Can you handle it? And then we say, absolutely. We're happy to have you. Shane, I think it's a fantastic idea. I love it. And um, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Um, as I mentioned to you uh, before we went on air, I am sitting in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam at the moment. So there's technology for you. And if you'd like to know more about Shane Barbanel and the CoLab Factory, go to Co. There's a hyphen. Sorry, I'm done. Not so, yeah, sure with the hyphen. Collab-factory.com. Collab-factory.com. So collab-factory.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel, the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And this week, we're broadcasting again from Lubu, which is a great restaurant in District 2 in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. You know, Vietnam is a, a great experience. Um, I've been here about a week and a half, and I've absolutely loved it. So put it down on your bucket list. Today went out to the mangroves, the Mekong Delta mangroves, and the crocodile farms and the – well, not farms. They're just bloody crocodiles everywhere. And um, monkeys and all sorts of shit, and it was – Absolutely fantastic. So Vietnam's a great experience and you should definitely put it on your bucket list. Now, this is a time of the year when lots of college grads are going out into the real world for the first time or are joining up with friends or peers to become entrepreneurs out to develop the next big thing. And a lot of CEOs and other C-suite personnel 
also changed jobs about now and the tenure of senior executives, as we know, is getting shorter and shorter. A lot of well-meaning and enthusiastic people either totally derail or totally underperform in their new roles in the first three months. So why is that? Well, I don't have all the answers to that question, but I have a couple of them. So maybe this advice will stop you from making the same mistakes. And the first mistake, and probably the easiest one to make, and also the easiest one to avoid, is not adapting to a new culture. When you move in to a business or whether you set up a business with a group of friends, you need to act in ways that are consistent with the culture. And if you don't, you risk facing a, a backlash. You might not even realise that it's happening. The result is that you become, you know, you become out of touch and disconnected and isolated from the flow of information about what's really going on. And this further increases your vulnerability and you're more likely to make bad calls and contribute to a vicious cycle that ends up in your failure. The second mistake new people in management make is not engaging in social learning. New leaders can become isolated because they spend too much time reading and studying up on the organisation and not enough time meeting and talking with people who work there. This inhibits the development of important relationships and cultivation of sources of information about what is really going on in the place. You You can read so much, but to find out what's really going on is much more difficult. And if it goes on for too long, you'll rapidly be labelled as remote and unapproachable. And so my advice is to get out and into the organisations quickly, meet as many people as you can. The third mistake that new people in management make is coming in with all the answers. I know how to fix the problems to this. I've got the fix. New people often fall into this trap through arrogance or insecurity or because they believe they have got to appear decisive and they've got to establish a really strong, firm tone. But this can make it difficult to rally support for change. When employees believe your mind is already made up, they become reticent to share information, and this impedes your ability to make real change. The fourth issue that can really screw up a new leader is staying too long with the existing team. You know, new leaders often come in and believe that um, the team that they inherit deserve as much opportunity as possible to prove themselves. You know, the reality is the only way to change people is to change people. So sticking with people who have performed mediocre, it's not advisable. Piss them off. Get good people. Put the best possible people in the jobs. And if you do give them an opportunity to show how they can perform, give them three months. And if you don't lift your game in three months, you are outski. And the fifth mistake people make when they join a company is attempting to do too much. I'll go in and I'll make all these sweeping changes. This approach usually only accomplishes accomplishes confusing and overwhelming people. It doesn't spur them into action. You have to experiment and try different approaches to discover 
what works and what doesn't. So if you avoid some of these pitfalls, you increase your potential for success exponentially. Now, in the meanwhile, look out for our new information that's coming out in the next couple of weeks. I think you'll be thrilled a bit to belong to the new Bob Pritchard Premium Club. And in the meanwhile, remember, if you're not pushing the envelope, if you're not really living on the edge, if you're not going for it, then get out of the way. You're taking far up far too much space. Let somebody through who really wants to succeed. You know, this sounds corny, but it's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do what everybody else does, which is the ordinary. This is Bob Pritchard, and I look forward to your company again next week. Well, I will be broadcasting from the Gold Coast. Lots of sun, lots of warmth, lots of women in little bikinis. I'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.